Wow, so good to see you all this morning. Whether you're, if you're online and joining us today, you're very, very welcome. If you're on site here today, what a, what a joy it was to be able to sing together. Well, I mean, for most of us, I mean, I heard some great voices, some great, um, it was just lovely to be able to sing together, yeah? Really, really lovely to be able to do that after such a long time. So, yes. And it's great to, great to have you with us this morning. So if you want to know about some of the changes that we're kind of um, experiencing, like with face masks and things like that, firstly, if, you, if you're sat here and, um, and, and you're comfortable, actually, just whilst we're, whilst we're in this place, feel free to lose your face mask, okay? Whilst during the sermon, we ask that you put it on if you're moving around the building or, if you're, or when we're singing again or praying for one another. But if you'd feel a little bit of oxygen would be quite nice. We've got our air handler going, so um, you're very welcome to do that. It's nice to see some faces. Yeah. So um, today we are going to be continuing our series on what heaven is really like. So we've been exploring some of the stories that Jesus told. Um, we, um, the, these are his parables. Um, and these are like stories that he told people that had some extra meaning. And so he'd start these things with like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then you would go and explore a few things. So we're going to read one of those today from Matthew chapter 13. Um, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, and um, we're going to read from verse 47. I'd like to just pray for us again, if that's all right. You know, you can never pray too much. I mean, yeah, it's good. So, Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the way that, um, that these words, Jesus, that you spoke all those years ago are here for us to explore and to you know, to look at today. And I pray that these words would come alive for us today. I pray that you'd speak to each one of us, whether we're sat here in this room, whether we've known you for years, or whether, you know, or whether we're exploring faith, whatever it is. For those of us at home, I pray that we just take a moment just to listen to what you want to say to us today. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to read the parable of the nets. And this is starting from verse 47. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into blazing, uh, bla the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So... I'm just going to leave that open there. So here we have Jesus. He's, he's sat by a lake with his disciples. He's got his 12, you know, main guys there. And then a crowd of people just gather out to hear him speak. And so many people had gathered to hear him and to join and just to listen to what he had to say. They had to take a step back into a boat in order that there was enough room for everyone to hear him. And then we hear this phrase again, and we've heard it over these last few weeks, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And so over these last few weeks, we've, um, we've looked at the parables um, Jesus shared as he built up a picture of what his kingdom was like. Um, it's like good seed that's in good soil. It's like wheat that's strong enough to grow alongside suffocating weeds. It's like a mustard seed that grows. It's like yeast that multiplies. It's like hidden treasure and fine pearls. So if you've missed any of those talks, I'd encourage you, go and catch up um, at riversidevineyard.com talks. And in this parable, he talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a net. It's not quite the hidden treasure and fine pearls of last week. So what does he mean by this? Now, I'm not an expert on fishing, but I, I know we've got a few expert fishermen in our midst, so I just want to just humor me for a minute, okay? If I get anything wrong, this is just principles here, okay? So, so bear with me. Now, there are lots of different ways that you can go about catching a fish. Probably the most common that you'll see is um, you get a fishing rod, you stick it into some water. I'm really simplifying it here, okay? Or over the side of a boat, and, and you will catch a single fish at any given time, yeah? And then you reel in the, in the line, you decide what to do with that fish, and then the fishing rod goes back in, into the water and repeat. That sounds really exciting, doesn't it? Um, I, apparently it is, so it's good, it's good. So if you love that kind of thing, I can imagine how it can be really relaxing, and, but you only catch one fish at a time, yeah? Other ways, you can, you can use a net. So if you've got a net, the bigger the net, the more fish you're gonna be able to catch. Are you with me still? I haven't put off all the fishermen and women in, the, in our midst right now. You know, this, but the type of net that, this, um, that Jesus is talking about here is not like a, a tiny net or a, a fishing rod that you might get one or two fish. It's a dragnet. And a dragnet is a huge cone-shaped fishing net, sometimes supported even by two fishing boats a mile apart. And it would be dragged along the bottom of the ocean floor, picking up everything in its path. And by everything, I don't just mean every kind of fish. It's picking up every bottle, every wrapper, every traffic cone, every shopping trolley too. It's picking up everything in its path. Now for me, this paints a picture of the kind of love that God has for us. The outrageous, overwhelming, never-ending love of God that reaches to the greatest depths to draw us in. The kingdom of heaven that reaches into every corner of the earth to reveal and demonstrate that love. So let's just dig a little bit deeper into what this parable is telling us about God's love for humankind. So verse 47 once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. You see, God's love is not restricted to certain groups of people. Everyone is welcome. He welcomes all into his kingdom, regardless of gender, of ethnicity, of upbringing or education. He doesn't turn you away if you've had a difficult past or if you're struggling with broken relationships or hidden addiction. He welcomes you today. And that's what heaven is going to be like, where all of us come together. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, he paints the most incredible picture of what it's going to be like in the end. 
And verse 9 of, of Revelation chapter 7 says this, after, I, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Isn't that an incredible picture? That's how it's all going to end. And this is what I believe Jesus is pointing to in this parable of the net. As the net is thrown out, it grabs everything in its path, completely unbiased to what are good and bad fish. But as we read on, there will be a sorting of the fish. In verse 48, when it, that means the net, was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? You know, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the parable of the weeds and, and the instruction is to not to do any of that sorting ourselves. It's not our job. And it's exactly the same here. What is good, what is bad, that's not up to us. Our call is to love and to welcome all of those around us and to leave the judging to those that are far more qualified than we can ever be. It's not our job to decide what is junk and what is not, what is good fish, what is bad fish, what is wicked, what is righteous. Now, I could quickly move on and just treat judgment like the elephant in the room, but I'm not going to do that. Because I think judgment is really important. And I just want to share a few thoughts on judgment and hell right now before we continue. You know, I think it's fair to say that we have a lot of baggage with the word judgment. We think about what God will do at the end of time. We think about what happens in the world around us. And immediately we, we judge according to our own belief systems and, and everything. We see that all around us. Sometimes I think when we think of the end of time, we think of it a bit like, you know, if you turn up at a five-star hotel, not that's something I've ever done, and finding out you don't actually have a booking, but there's room down the road at some chain hotel or something like that. I'm not going to mention any names, I might upset somebody. Do we really think like that? Do we think that God has a checklist to check the good people into heaven and to send the bad people packing off to hell? Let's not pretend that the Bible doesn't use this kind of language because it does. And I think it, this parable seems to indicate that to a point as well. But I think when we think like this, we automatically assume that judgment is a bad thing. Judgment has become all about condemnation. And I think as Christians, we often feel really uncomfortable talking about this. So the, go um, so the gospel that we feel more comfortable with is one where you know, we say yes to Jesus, where we become a Christian and we don't need to be judged. So, uh, and, or at least that judgment is on Jesus and not on us. Because, you know, I think we've, we've shrunk it down to like a tick box exercise to enable us to get into heaven and to escape hell. But judgment, I believe, is all about redeeming and restoring all things to how they were meant to be. It's about making all things new. Do we believe in a just God? If we do, then judgment must be a good thing. 
I think all of us are wired to an extent where we have a streak of justice in us, where we see something that isn't right, we find that really hard, don't we? Some of us, I think, particularly have that strongly. And when we feel um, like we or others have been mistreated, we want to see justice. We see the world around us. We see people, we see regimes that seemingly have gotten away with the most heinous of crimes. Is it not right that they should be judged? That we should all be judged? There has to be a consequence for all those who turn away from Jesus. Now this passage talks about a weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, and if you look into the, into the background to that, it could be a physical place that Jesus is referring to. But what I do know is that hell is the literal absence of God. It's the absence of all that is good. And we shouldn't wish that on anyone. So whilst I don't fully understand, whilst I can, we can never fully grasp this, what I know is there is an opportunity for us all to say yes to Jesus. There's an opportunity for us all to receive the love, the outrageous love that he has for us. So let's leave judgment to the angels and to God. And let's remember that, that any judgment that does happen is done through and because of the reconciling love of what Jesus did on the cross. Because through the blood of Jesus, we can be made clean. And we are only judged in the light of what he did there. And that's the only thing that matters in the end. Our relationship with and our trust in Jesus. It's not just about being good. It's faith in Jesus that is going to matter in the end. There will be a final day of reckoning. But it's something that we can look forward to. We're going to be held account for all that we've done, all that we've lived through. But it's also the start of redemption. It's the end of sin. It's the beginning of a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus. And this is how it will be forever. Mercy triumphing over judgment. So if you're sat here today and you've not yet said yes to Jesus, there is still time to turn to him. And we're going to give some space to do that a little bit later. Now, I love coming back to this passage, coming back to that idea of the net. I love the idea of that fishing net being dragged along the ocean floor. Because what it signifies is that it doesn't matter how low you've gone, how far you've gone away from Jesus, there is always a way back. You see, it doesn't matter where you've come from or where you've been, there is a place for you in God's kingdom. And he longs for you to come to him, to return to him. Now, I read this story a couple of, uh, last week about a couple in China who 24 years ago had their um, two-year-old son kidnapped. Just heartbreaking. And for 24 years, they had desperately searched for their son. The father, um, Guo Gangtang, he became famous for crossing China on his motorbike. And he'd have this like banner displaying photos of his two-year-old boy on the, back, on the back of his bike. And over these 24 years, he traveled more than 300,000 miles, all with the hope of finding his precious son. Guo became something of a folk hero. And there was even a movie that was made about his search for his lost son. 
So um, he went through about 10 motorcycles. He traveled far down south, back to the north, and back again, just chasing down the smallest bits of information about where his son might be. He had lots of near-miss traffic incidents, but he always set out again, every day, again and again and again, even with minimal sleep. What's remarkable is that even though for many years he couldn't find his son, he founded an organization to help dozens of other families find their own children. And he also began promoting anti-trafficking awareness on, on a social media app where he gains tens of thousands of followers. Amazing, amazing guy doing so, so much, even though he still couldn't find his own son. But then in June this year, there was some good news. Through um, some search methods, they found a potential match for the son. And further blood tests confirmed that this 26-year-old man now working as a teacher, not the two-year-old little boy, but a 26-year-old man, was indeed their long-lost son. And so 24 years on, they reunited. They never gave up hope. They never gave up searching for their son. And they were reunited with their kidnapped boy. Isn't that a stunning story? And I share that because it gives us a tiny glimpse of the kind of love that God has for us. This is grace. This is the good news of Jesus. That like a father riding hundreds of thousands of miles, like a dragnet trawling across the ocean, Father God scours the world for you and for me, for your neighbor, for your colleague, for the person you bump into in the supermarket. That's how much he loves you. And I want to land with this this morning. Do you know how much God loves you? Do you really know? Do we have any idea of the lengths that he would go to bring you back to him? He loves you so much. I just want to share these words that might become familiar as I read them. This is how much God loved the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help, to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. Do we recognize those words? That's John 3.16 and, and a little bit more from, from, from the message. I just love the way that Eugene Peterson has used those words. And don't they speak into this passage that we've just been talking about? 
no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. He doesn't go around with an accusing, pointing finger at us, telling us how bad we are, how bad the world is. He came to help and to put the world right again. And that, that's grace. That's the good news of Jesus right there.